0: My scripture this morning is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 29, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit at on the throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, "Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed depart from me into the eternal fire, Prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, but the righteous into eternal life.
1: We have been working through a series called Looking for God, and we started off talking about the humility we should bring into that pursuit, uh, where Paul talked about that we just see in a mirror dimly And that we needed to have eyes for something more, to look for God, like Elisha, who sees potential battle, a potential victory, and changes that into a meal and a celebration between enemies, which changes the way forward for both groups. We looked at what it was like for Moses to just even get a glimpse of God walking by and how any encounter with God changes us even though that that's hard and we don't like change, yet God always changes. We looked at how Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And that Jesus is the great model, the great visible example of the unseen and visible God. And last week we talked about how church can be the celebration of seeing God at work in the world around us. And that we come with joyful spirits praising God about what God has done for those on the outside of the temple. And so today, we move into a challenging text. And I think part of why it's challenging is maybe you hear this text and you think about the street corner evangelists shouting it at people about some people getting rewards, some people getting fire, kind of this tone-deaf pronouncement. In Milwaukee, there was this old car that would drive by with like a bullhorn or something, and it was set to an audio tape, and so it was just shouting things at people, driving through the streets, and you just were like, wait, what was that? Um, and some, sometimes that's the way that we've encountered these kinds of stories, and that makes it even more challenging for us to do something with it. Um, And before we get into today's text, I want to mention, I always like to mention this about, it's important to know genre. What kind of story are you reading? And anytime you get to these, what's called apocalyptic, uh, the unveiling, sometimes it looks like end of the world type pictures. When you get into these texts, they have certain characteristics which you can expect. Some of them are urgency. You better decide now, because it's like that, that things will change. And so there's an urgency in the text. There's also a need for divine intervention because it's always, most of these apocalyptic texts are written by oppressed groups who are struggling for survival and can't imagine God doing anything other than having to step in and completely change the world around them. And one other thing, there's never really any gray area in these texts. Uh, it's black and white, You're a sheep or you're a goat. There's no such thing as a geep. And so part of that is if you're feeling persecuted and you're like, I know that I'm persecuted and they're persecuting me, God's going to separate us out and there's no in-between. And so that's the kind of text that we walk into. And I also want to remind us that, like a lot of these texts, there's a lot of analogies going going on, a lot of, like, parable type language. And so maybe in a text that talks about shepherds separating out sheep and goats, maybe we shouldn't take things necessarily too literally all of the time. We know there's a little bit of poetic play going on in this text. But what I want to ask us to do today is to ask where, and sometimes when, where are we looking for God Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 33 starts, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of glory, and all nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, I think there's a little bit of a playful thing happening here. Because you might think, ah, I'm looking for that day, that future time when all gets set right. And I just wanna wait for that moment. But this story is going to reorient that for us because if you wait for that moment, it's too late. The real moments that matter are our present everyday life moments. But we keep wanting to look for something in the future. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory, says, all nations will be gathered. Now, I want to point out that there's actually a long history of discussion on this. Who is meant by all nations are gathered? Most of our last couple hundred years of interpretation will say it means everybody, all humankind. Um, But throughout 95% of church history, most of those people that interpreted this text understood that to mean Um, like an inner Christian conversation that, uh, and part of that's from this text is a part of a bigger narrative in which the disciples come privately to Jesus and he starts sharing things with them, but the church had read this text as an inner church conversation of when Christ reigns, Christ will even evaluate us. How did you behave? Did you treat people this way or did you treat people that way? Um, And so, there's an even more, I think, convicting tone to how the church has read this text, not necessarily thinking about people on the outside, but even internally, how would Christ judge us as the church? And so, there's some separation, the sheep and the goats. Now, some people want to read this as naturally that goats are bad for some reason, I don't know if you, if you did that for yourself of, well, of course the sheep are the good guys and the goats are the bad guys or something like that. Um, but that's just a shepherd separating out his animals. And we have like goat sacrifice, like goats aren't bad guys in most of the biblical stories. It just, the idea is shepherds separate out their flocks and so Christ also separates out different kinds of people. And remember, no gray area. You're a sheep or you're a goat. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. I think it's important the language of inheritance. You aren't working for this thing, but it's the natural product of the kingdom coming down to all of those uh, in need, that the kingdom passes on to the broken, to the hungry, to the stranger, and it's gifted in the right time. I also think it's important to realize that you're inheriting a kingdom. Not an isolated Christianity that's just you and God by yourselves not caring about other people. But you were brought into a community of people living justly with God and with each other. And it was prepared for you because it was prepared for all who act lovingly with compassion. All who heal brokenness. And this is all based on acts of love and charity. Feed the hungry. Give drinks to the thirsty. Welcome the stranger. Clothe the naked. Care for the sick. Visit the prisoner. This isn't a separation on did you nuance this theological point correctly? How did you show love to the people who needed it the most? Then the righteous will answer, Come again, wait a minute, what? They're really confused. And I think sometimes we miss that. We figure, oh, we have the right answers. We assume we get the right answers. But like, so much of the Bible is about people being surprised. Wait, what on earth are you talking about? This is the litmus test? Why didn't you tell us this is the litmus test? Wait, what do you mean? We were serving you? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did we welcome you? When did we clothe you? When did we care for you? When did we visit you? Sometimes we think we'll just be judged only on what we believe, but how do we live out our beliefs? If you truly believe something, it affects you. Your whole life is is moved by that faith. I wonder, would they have treated those people differently if they had known it was the king? Because they're saying, well, we treated people this way. We didn't know we were treating you. But that's the question. If you knew the king was there, would you treat them differently? And uh, maybe it's because I've got a little one. Uh, We went and took her to see the movie Aladdin recently. So whether it's the classic Disney animated film, or if you went to see the new one with Will Smith and everybody that's on the new one, um, there's a little thing that happens in that story the main character, Aladdin, is seen as a street rat. That's the language they give him. He's a nobody. He's a thief. He's not worthy of a relationship with the princess. He gets, he's being chased after by police. Uh, he's trying to struggle to survive. And his first wish is, Genie, make me a prince. Let me be like a king. Let me show up Instead of being a street rat, I'm riding a giant elephant, and I got all the right clothes on, I got all of the wealth and the possessions following along with me, and maybe then you'll welcome me. And we don't see that we're often like those crowds. If you come in dressed in a certain way, you come in with a certain wallet size, make way for Prince Ali. But if you're just a street rat, well, who cares? And that's the litmus test that all of these people are facing. Would you treat an Aladdin or a Prince Ali the same way when they show up? Would you give them the same thing to eat? Would you give them the same thing to drink? Would you give them the same clothes, the same care, the same welcome? Because I think we can be honest that the answer is usually no. Right? Right? I mean, as much as we want to be these people that are the sheep on the right-hand side, we can't just help but see what we see in front of us. And that image in front of us distracts us and deters us. And suddenly, I'm not treating you like the king. I'm treating you like a street rat. And the king responded to them, Truly, I tell you, Just as you did it to the one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Do we actually treat everybody like that's Christ in front of us? Whatever you did for them, you did to Christ. However you welcomed them, you welcomed Christ. Identifying with the least of these is a very strong image in our Christian faith. God has a solidarity with the least and not the greatest. You know, God hears the cries of the oppressed in Exodus. It says I'm a liberating God. When Jesus comes into the streets of Jerusalem, it's the poor Galileans shouting praise and singing hallelujah, and the religious know-it-alls saying, "I don't like this guy. I don't like who he's running with. What can I do to get rid of this guy?" James Combe, who sadly passed away a few years ago, wrote a very, very important text called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And he challenged Christians, particularly challenged white Christians, about an ugly part of our past. In the era between 1880 and 1940, nearly 5,000 black men and women were lynched in our country. And one of the things he noticed was he read through all of the major theologians of this era. Saying, surely somebody would comment on this. Wait a minute, so you've got people not getting a fair trial, run out to be executed, to be hung on a tree, to be mocked, to be made a public spectacle. And nobody said, oh, that looks like the cross. Where were all of these theologians? Did nobody notice that the black bodies on the lynching tree resembled Jesus on the cross. And how if we don't have eyes to see, we don't see Jesus in the pain and the suffering of the least of these. Until we can see Christ in the suffering, we haven't fully seen Christ yet. Every person we meet is the opportunity to interact with the Lord who identifies with those in need. And we have the opportunity. Do we attend to those needs or do we ignore them? And the text goes on, then he will say to those at his left hand, and I'm sorry, left-handed people, it just always does that. The right hand gets the blessing, the left hand gets the curse. But here it is, those on the left. You that are accursed, depart from me into the fire eternal, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. We often think about sin as doing bad things. We don't often think about sin as not doing good things. And we are all given an opportunity to, to be good, to be love, to be compassionate to our world. And sometimes we sit idly by, and we let isolation reign. And these people are also as confused as the first. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? And I think part of that gets into that whole like, internal Christian conversation. They're not saying, wait, are you my king? Hey, Lord, what did we not do this for you? And he answers, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And I think the image there is the inheritance of the fruit of the work that you've been a part of. That uh, those who sat in the midst of an isolated, broken, ugly world and didn't work with God in the transformation of it, left it idly by, remain in a world that's broken, and those that see Christ everywhere and minister to all to heal so much that's broken are rewarded with continued life. So what's the invitation of this text? I think there's a beauty in this text. It's the the invitation to see Christ everywhere. And that's hard in the midst of a brokenness, but that's exactly the point to look into the ugly, to look into the lost, the broken, whatever that has hurt, and to see Christ at work there. Christ comes every Thursday to personal care and walks in our space. Christ is moving across the street when we have our new low- to middle-income apartments that are being built. Christ is hungry on our street corner, asking for some change, Christ is fleeing as a refugee to our country, Christ is grieving the loss of children to violence, Christ is enslaved due to mass incarceration rates in our city, Christ is struggling to survive without access to medical treatment. Do we see everyone that is struggling, all of the least of these, as Christ? Or are they just street rats? And while it's an opportunity to see Christ in everyone, it's the opportunity to be Christ to everyone. We had talked about in John 14, show us the Father. What do you mean, you haven't seen the Father? When we live out this calling rightly, we bring Christ everywhere we go. Can the world see God through our acts of love? You know, we started with Paul and the limitations of what we can know. And that was in that whole chapter about love. Hey, we don't know everything yet, but you should love. And here we're going to close in this series with, hey, you might not know everything, but you can love. Can you show compassion? Can you have eyes to see what is broken in front of you? So if you're looking for God, look around. Look around. Because God is everywhere. And when you live out your faith, you contribute to that light shining in the darkness. And you make it even more possible for others to see God at work in this world. So don't miss out on God's presence and God's kingdom at work today. Just longing for some long-off, faraway time. Because what matters is now. It's not about a life insurance policy. It's about offering to be a part of the healing work of the great physician which changes lives today. And that work echoes through all time and space. So I'll close with the words of Matthew. Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Would you pray with me? Lord, everyone in this room needs your spirit's reminder today. Lord, I need it. We all need it. That we see every person in this space, every person outside of these walls, every person we love, every person we struggle to love, as bearing your image, as worthy of our love and not our hate. Lord, help transform our hearts to to be agents of love, of your kingdom. Let us not seek to divide people. Let us care for the least of these. And Lord, I just ask that in a moment we're going to be into our, our, our communion. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would help put us in the frame of mind to see your over, overflowing generosity and goodness and love that flows even to me. And then I can appreciate that, that it flows to everyone else as well that your blessings are for all of us. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.